Um, before we do that, um, I'd love for us to pray together. Heavenly Lord, we are so grateful that we are here with an understanding that uh, our eternal destiny matters, that what we do in this life impacts on what happens with us in the life to come. And we recognize that our lives here are very short, but eternity is forever. And so, Lord, we are so grateful that your spirit has moved in our hearts and we have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Lord, if we're here today and we're not certain of where we stand with you, we pray that you would work and you would draw us to yourself. Lord, open our eyes so that we would see the spiritual truths, the spiritual realities that we need to recognize. Bless us, Lord God. Send your Holy Spirit to not only help us to read and understand your word, but to take your word and penetrate it into our hearts and into our lives for your glory, for your honor, to the praise of your name we ask. Amen. If you go back in New Zealand history, about 100 years ago, there was this momentous event which occurred, which was World War I. And at that time, the population of New Zealand was only around about 1 million people. But in World War I, there were about 100,000 servicemen and people who were involved in that conflict. Um, both of my grandfathers, for example, served in World War I. 16,000 New Zealanders lost their lives in that conflict. About 50,000 were injured or invalided home. My, my maternal grandfather, for example, came home on a hospital ship. He had no physical scars of, of any form or any nature, but this was after the Battle of the Somme. And as you look back, and I know that there are different views about the rightness and the validity of, that, of World War I and the conflict, but as you if you look back over that and you think about New Zealand and you think about the cost and you think about the involvement and the investment that we as a little country had in this global conflict, maybe you, the question might be, was it a good result for us? Was it, a, was it a worthwhile thing for us to participation? How can we say that, you know, our soldiers and our servicemen were defending our nation from from the enemy when we didn't even see any enemies. We didn't even see any, nobody even came and attacked us. And in fact, if you think about all of those who died and all of those who were injured, none of them were, died or were injured in actual conflict or confrontation or a battle here in New Zealand. It was all somewhere else. It was in Belgium or France or in, 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 in Turkey. And so you might, be, you might wonder, like, shouldn't we have just waited for the enemy to come to us? Shouldn't we have just sat in our little country and thought, well, we'll when we see them coming over the ocean, then we'll, then we'll load our rifles and then we will prime our guns and then we will defend our nation. Well, we all know that such an approach would not have worked. That's not an effective strategy of of um, defending yourself and against an aggressor. And if we bring that illustration into the spiritual realm, I want to challenge us to think about how it is that we can be effective in spiritual warfare and how we can be effective in gospel ministry. 
Because it is tempting for us, I believe, as, as Christians to think, well, I will just wait and I will sit in my small corner and I will defend against the attacks of the evil one. I will defend against spiritual attacks and, and against darkness and against evil and sin and wickedness and apostasy and things like that that are around me. But I don't need to go out and do anything. Maybe I should just focus on ensuring that my theology is correct and I, you know, I'm involved in theological education and I read big thick books, I get books and it's a thousand pages on, on theology and, 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 and I love that and I love teaching that. But there, it, there is a danger, isn't there, that we can think to ourselves that all we need to do is just become experts in what it means to be a Christian, experts in the Bible and that that's good enough for us, that we have correct theology, that we're accurate, and that we preserve and protect good reformed theological tradition. And that, in, in a sense, would be like seeking to protect ourselves by building defense, uh, fences or defensive forts. But I believe that this passage here, and I want to explain it to you and explain why I want to argue this, is challenging us to think differently, to think that the way that we guard the gospel, the way that we preserve and protect our Christian faith today is not by building fences, but rather going on the offensive, by going and taking the gospel out into the world around us. Just give you a little bit of context here. This is, we believe, the last of Paul's letters. He's writing from prison. It's a sad letter in many ways because he says that in chapter 1, verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygalus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And he also talks it later on in chapter 4 that he says, he, he says that all those, at, in chapter 4, verse 16, at my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged to their account. So it's, there's a sadness in this letter. Here is a, an, a man who's coming to the end of his life. He's once again imprisoned. He's, he's elderly. He's, he's feeling tired. And he's feeling, in a sense, abandoned by those who should have been with him. But for Paul, as he thinks about what, is the, what it is that is necessary for the moment, he doesn't say, I want you to withdraw from the world and I want you just to secrete yourselves away. I want you to find a safe place and I want you to avoid contact with others and I want you just to hold on to the things that I have told you by just preserving them. But he says, I want you to instead guard the faith by passing it on to others. I want you to protect, I want you to preserve the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by teaching others that same gospel. Paul is unashamed, isn't he, and unapologetic. In verse 12, he says, of, of chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he is confident in God's grace. He's confident in, in the work of the Holy Spirit to, to guard and preserve the gospel. But he also goes on and tells Timothy, 
verse of chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so his challenges to Timothy to gu- is to guard the gospel, to protect and to, and, and to defend against the attacks of Satan and the attacks of sin and the attacks of false teaching. But this morning, as I've already indicated and hinted, I want us to look at how we should do that and how Paul tells Timothy the best way is the best way for, for us to do that. Because I believe that there is a tendency, isn't there, for us. The world around us is changing quickly. Um, lots of people are not really that enthusiastic about Christianity. Uh, there's a book recently been published by a guy called Steve McAlpine, and the title of that book is Being the Bad Guys. What is he talking about in that book? He's, what he's reminding us of is that up until a certain point in history, Christians were seen as being good people to be around, trustworthy, maybe reliable, maybe somebody you would... You would um, give your children to, to look after, or something like that, or someone who you think would be fair and unbiased. But he says, things have changed now. And as we go into the 2020s, people look at us, and and, and if you're a Christian today, they look at you and they maybe think that you are bigoted. You're a hateful person. Uh, You are critical, and you are hypocritical. And so the, the temptation for us, isn't it, is to maybe withdraw and think, well, well, we'll just separate ourselves from the world, we'll preserve what we have now, we'll enshrine it, we will make it into a creed, we'll repeat it together on Sundays, but we'll just keep it here within these four walls. And I know I, I feel that temptation often myself. Uh, maybe to go into some sort of spiritual or social ghetto, we lose contact with our neighbours and our workmates. Maybe we think we could just train a few experts, a few theologians who will hold on to what we know, train one or two pastors to preach to us on a Sunday and hope for a better day. But I don't believe that that is what Paul here is teaching us and I don't believe that that is what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do. The only way to guard the gospel, I believe, is by passing it on to others who will spread it widely, who will pass it on to others again. And so look at these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Firstly, Paul talks about gospel guarding action. As I said, it, it is tempting to think that guarding the gospel is a passive activity, but It's exactly the opposite here. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men or trust to faithful anthropoi, people who will be able to teach others also. And so what what we are immediately alerted to here is, is that one of the things that God is calling each of us to do is to ensure that what we know about the Lord Jesus and what we understand of the Scriptures is something that we are passing on. We are, we are sharing it with others. We're, we're not just holding it to ourselves. 
And that's often a default for us, isn't it? Particularly, I think, amongst Reformed Christians, that can be a real tendency, isn't it? To, to just want to be very passive and ensure that we dot all of our I's and, and cross all of our T's and have our correct theology. But for Paul, it's about passing on the truths that we have received, and we pass those truths on not just to other experts so that our heads become big and swollen and we become, um, you know, sort of proud and puffed up with the knowledge, but we pass on what we learn to people who are enthused about the Lord Jesus Christ and can't shut up about it and want to tell other people about it who want to share and, and want to uh, let others experience what they have heard and what they know, because it's such good news. It's the gospel after all, isn't it? It's the good news. That's what the gospel is. It's something that you don't just preserve and you lock away. You don't just put it in an album and put it in a drawer, but you share it with others. It's good news. I saw somebody yesterday won $13 million. Now, that's probably such good news they don't want to share it with, with others. But you would be pretty excited, wouldn't you, if you won $13 million? Was it you? No? Who was it? That's good news. Winning lotto, that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? But lotto is nothing in comparison to what Paul is talking about here what the the scriptures are, are, are telling us that this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who and and who brings the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and so he says spread it tell your family tell your children tell your neighbors tell your workmates go to barbecues with your with your neighbors and your friends and and, and listen to their conversations and, and tell them what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. What, tell them what you believe about life and death. Put it on Facebook. Put it on WhatsApp. Because if we don't do that, it will perish. So Paul tells Timothy, find faithful people who will pass on to others what they have learned. Now, it may be more formal training, like what I do. It may be theological education in a classroom, writing essays, reading books, all that kind of thing. But I, I, I don't believe it's just going to be um, exclusively that. It is something that should be done in all kinds of situations. It's interesting, actually, if you go back into chapter 1, how did, how did Timothy himself get to hear about how, did he, how was it passed on to him? It was your mother, Lois, oh sorry, your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. They were the ones who passed on uh, the gospel to Timothy himself. And so we need to find these faithful people and we need to pass it on. And it, sh and it should be something we're active in. If we're serious about the gospel, spending time with others, praying and reading the Bible together is something that, that all of us can do and something that all of us should engage in. I love this quote from John Calvin. He says, Paul exhorts Timothy not only to preserve the gospel's shape and features, but likewise to hand it down to godly teachers that, being widely spread, it may take root in the hearts of many. For he saw that it would quickly perish 
if it were not soon scattered by the ministry of many persons. John Calvin really doesn't sound like your typical Calvinist or hyper-Calvinist, does he? He's saying, Paul is not telling us just to preserve it. And, you know, when I think of preserving, I think of my mum preserving things in a jar and they can stay on the shelf for many, many, many years. And you hope they're all right. But he's, he, he's saying, he's not just telling you to do that, but it's something that must be, he said, widely spread that it may take root in the hearts of others, for he saw that it would quickly perish if it were not soon scattered. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? If you want to preserve something and protect something and guard it, you, we think of encircling it and enshrining it, but, he's, but instead he's saying, no, if you want something to to, to be preserved, if you want it, something to survive, it has to be widely spread, as wide as possible, to as many people as possible. And so there's all kinds of opportunities, and I could go on and on about different contexts in which we can train and equip people for ministry and so on, but I think it is, it is a call, a charge, if you will, to all of us. It's about handing on the baton to someone who runs with you. It's about that person, your friend, encouraging one another. John Chrysostom, one of the church fathers, says this. He says, not only commit to faithful men, for of what advantage is it that one is faithful if he is not able to convey his doctrine to others? When he does not indeed betray the faith, yet he does not render others faithful. What he's saying is that we need to be people. Brothers and sisters, don't let the gospel stop stop with you. That's what he's saying. Don't just hear it and go, wow, praise the Lord, that's great, and keep it to yourself. That's not guarding the gospel. Guarding the gospel is finding the next person that you can tell them that same wonderful news that God has shared that God has brought to you. This is, the Lord, this is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the best news, isn't it? It's the best news I think you've ever heard. I know it's the best news I've ever heard. And it's too good to just be kept and preserved. He gives us some examples in verses 3 to 7, some gospel-guarding examples because he recognizes that we're all sitting here going, maybe I can't do this. Maybe this is not something that I'm up for. And he says, yes, it's not easy. Nobody ever told you that being a Christian is going to be easy. And nobody ever promised you that sharing the gospel and telling others about the Lord Jesus is something that is just going to be a breeze and take no effort and require no work on your behalf. No true gospel pursuit is. So Paul's invitation to Timothy comes with a challenge. He says, I love this. He says, right, pass it on. Then he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the Greek word is? It means suffer badly together. Share in suffering 
It's all one word. Suffer badly together. I like the together bit. That's okay. The suffer and then the intensifier badly. Wow, that's, that's a wonderful invitation. Folks, come and suffer badly together with me. And he gives the examples of how we do that, though. He's not even talking about persecution, by the way. He talks about, as we um, guard the gospel by passing it on to others, we, we need to endure, we need to deny ourselves, we need to say no to things, we need to, in verse 7, he talks about reflecting deeply, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. But the suffering comes from being engaged in a struggle, like a soldier, he says. He talks about a soldier, he talks about an athlete, he talks about a farmer. A soldier is under command. His own will and his own life doesn't belong to himself, but it belongs to someone higher up the command chain. He puts his life and health on the line for a higher cause. It's not an easy life. It requires much discipline. It requires sacrifice. He talks about the athlete who invests time and energy and training and preparation and here Paul is emphasizing not so much the discipline that is required of an athlete but the need to follow the rules of the game there are ways of doing things there are true truths that as opposed to false ways of uh, sharing and, and and talking about the Lord Jesus and if Timothy expects a crown of righteousness then he must he must compete as a as a godly follower of the Lord Jesus Christ not according to his will not according to the way he thinks things should be done but into but according to Christ's way and the farmer who works hard is patient and and in patient endurance and hard labor by the sweat of his brow he sees the fruit of his labor what stops me from harvesting, from investing my life? What stops me from investing my time and my money towards these goals? What stops you from investing your time and energy, your money, your property? What stops you? Well, it's this avoidance, isn't it, of we don't want to make our lives uncomfortable. I know for me, that's the thing. I want a comfortable life. Live a comfortable life, have the toys, and then preferably just die in my sleep at the end. That, that's the life, isn't it, that by nature we, we long for, don't we? But Paul says, no, come and suffer badly together with me for the cause of Christ, because eternity is at stake. And I want to just close with that, where he talks about the motivation in verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we, have died not, uh, sorry, if we have died with him, we, also, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. What is it that motivates us? You know and I know that in order to affect change in our lives, we need to have a reason, don't we? 
Um, we need to have, we need to know the why. Whether you've been a smoker, or maybe you had alcoholism or some other addiction, um, and and you wanted to make the a change, and you you know that you tried and you would try and you would try incrementally until something came along which really convinced you and 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 showed you why you needed to change. And it's the same, isn't it? with us as believers. If, if I stand here and tell you, you need to go out and tell everybody about Jesus, you need, to, you need to be equipped, you need to pass on the message that you have heard and you need to um, let others and as many people as possible know about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the gospel, you, you're probably just going to feel a sense of maybe guilt and I'm laying things on you and I'm just trying to make you um, feel like you are not achieving as highly as Christians as you ought to until you see the reason why. What is the motive? What is the motivation? Well, for Paul here, he says, keep on remembering Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he, as Son of God, as King of the universe, took to himself human nature and so that he became fully God and fully human and that he came here and was in submission to his parents and he lived a life of, of suffering and, and of neglect and, and of humiliation. He, as Paul says in Philippians, he humbled himself by becoming a servant and he served to the point of death, even death on the cross. He says, remember Jesus, remember this one, that he has risen from the dead, that even though he was crucified on the cross, he conquered death, he has conquered sin, he has conquered the grave, he destroyed death's fear by conquering its power. He says, remember that. That is what should motivate you. And so for Paul, he was content to be imprisoned, to suffer what it was, whatever it was that was thrown at him because he knows that the slain lamb of God is upon the throne of the universe. And even though he might be in prison, the gospel can never be in prison, can never be bound, as he says. And so he says, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He's reminded there that all of those whom God has chosen to himself will unstoppably, will irrefutably, will, will, God will bring to himself and nothing can get in the way of God's purposes as he works out his salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will without failure or doubt enter into their eternal reward, glorified in Christ Jesus. And so he can sing of God's faithfulness that, that is grounded in nothing greater or less than his own true person. Numbers 23 verse 19, I think he's echoing those ideas. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I have received a commandment to bless and he is blessed and I cannot revoke it. Brothers and sisters, we have something that ought to be shared, not something to be kept. 
not something to be hidden. It's too good for that. It's far too precious just to be kept to yourself and maybe dusted off and brought out on a Sunday morning and, and shared with a few other people who think the same as you and talk the same as you. It's, it's way too good to do that with it. You want everybody to enjoy and, and rejoice in what the gift that God has given you, don't you? It's too precious. And I would say that if you are concerned about if, if where you put your affections and, and if you think about what it is that you love the most and the things that you're concerned about the most, and, you know, for me, as I think, it's maybe my family, it'd be my children, it's my, my wife and, and um, my, my house and my, my, my car, and, and I think about society and I think about co- uh, culture and I think about education and I think about the world. If we really love and are concerned for these things... Surely we will offer the best for them. We will offer the best for our children. To hear about Jesus. To know how to share the Lord Jesus with others. With our friends, with our neighbours, with our community, with our our neighbourhood support group. With New Zealand, with our culture, with the whole world. It's not education. It's not money. It's not the health system. It's not national security, it's not concern for the environment, all those things are good things, by the way, that's going to solve and correct the world's problems. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do not pass on the true gospel, there will be less hearing of it. Andrew Bonner said that. He said, you know, there is so little believing in the gospel because there is so little speaking the gospel. There is so little believing in the gospel because there's so little hearing of the gospel. I know a man who came all the, all the way from overseas and stood in Cathedral Square here, and there were some other people standing on the other side of the, the square, and they were talking about the Lord Jesus. He'd come from another country, a Muslim country, and he stood there, and he heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard because they were speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I might think that standing in a public square and, and, and talking at the top of your voice about Jesus might seem an unusual thing to do. Maybe it's not very efficient use of our time. But God ordained that that was how this man would hear the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ and come to faith in him. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. And here he talks of the the gospel being the the gospel of the glory of the blessed God in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, spread the gospel, leave the rest to God. For as he says that you will be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we love something, we will share it. And if we love others, we will tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus is something we hear. It is something that we hear that you have given to us and by your spirit we understand it. We don't understand everything. We don't understand all the small details, or the ins and outs, but we understand that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people and that he rose again and has conquered death itself. Lord, that is the best news that the world has ever heard and there will never be the likes of it again until our King Jesus returns in glory to claim his own. And so, with that in mind, stir us up, guide us, Lord God, in the passing on of the good news of the gospel to others that they may share with others who will share with others also. Help us to guard your good gospel by sharing it widely with as many as we can. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.